Each year we take some time at the beginning of the year in January to talk about stewardship. And this morning we're just going to talk about some basic things. Tonight we'll get into a little bit more of the nitty-gritty about God's four purposes for money. But this morning I want to talk about climbing the ladder to financial peace. One day, every one of us will have to answer three questions. One of those will be, where did it all go? Some of you are wondering that right now. Second question is, what did I spend it on? And the third one is, what has been accomplished for eternity through the use of my money? What's been accomplished for eternity? And many of us remember the old saying, doing more of what you've always done will only get you more of what you've always gotten. And so if we keep doing the same thing, we're going to keep getting the same results. Here's what I can guarantee you. If you take this climb up the generosity ladder that we're talking about this morning, you will experience life more abundant as you've never known it before. And you'll finally be able to replace the financial stress in your life with financial peace in your life. You'll be free to live your life that you've been created to live without the weight of constant worry about finances and about money. But you have to be willing to let the lens of the truth of God's word clarify your perspective, starting with one giant underlying paradigm-shifting truth, and that is just simply this, God owns it all. Amen? God owns it all. He owns everything that we have. We read the verse, Brother Craig did for us in Colossians 1.16. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. All things. James 1.16 says every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights. And the only hope we have of loosening our death grip that we have on our goods is to acknowledge that everything belongs to God. Everything. It's His. You may have heard the story about how people catch monkeys in India. I'll have to ask Abraham back here if this is all correct. But in India, they, the way they collect mo monkeys long ago... There was an insightful hunter there, and he figured out that monkeys were very selfish creatures. And so he created a way to capture them by taking advantage of their very nature. First, the monkey hole would, or the monkey hunter would cut a very small hole in the end of a coconut. The hole was just big enough for the monkey to get his fingers, his hand into there, in, in that, hole, that hole. And then he would tie a long cord to the other end of the, of the coconut. Then he would put peanuts or banana chunks or some other enticing treat into the hole. And he'd place that coconut along the path where the monkeys would travel. He'd sneak away just far enough where they couldn't see him. And he'd hold the end of the rope in his hand. Inevitably, the unexpecting monkey would come along and sniff out the treat and wiggle his little hand into the hole and grab the treat inside of it. And when he did that, the hunter's job was done. He just jerked the cord on the other end, and the entire monkey, coconut and all, would land right at his feet. 
you say, why wouldn't the monkey pull his hand out of the hole in the coconut and run for his life? Remember, monkeys are selfish. Once they got their hands on something that they wanted, they would not let go. And with his fist wrapped around the treat, the monkey couldn't get his hand back out of the hole. If he would just loosen his grip and let go of the bounty, he could save himself. But he clings tight-fistedly to what is his, and he finds himself trapped. It's easy for us to see how ridiculous the monkey was acting. In fact, if we were sitting on the edge of the woods somewhere watching all of this, we'd probably yell out at the monkey, let go, that little treat isn't worth your life. And yet, back in our own corner of the world, we're just as guilty as the monkey, aren't we? We got a hold of things that we won't let go of. We want what is ours. And oftentimes we want it so badly we're blinded by the consequences of our grasping on, on to it, our holding on to that thing that we think is ours. Could I say to you this morning that Jesus was never afraid to talk about money? Sometimes people think, well, you even hear about some churches. We don't hear it here, and I'm thankful for that. But sometimes you'll hear people say, well, all they do is talk about money at that church. We usually take the month of January and talk about stewardship. We say little about it the rest of the year. But you know what's the interesting thing? If you stop into McDonald's and get something to eat, you place your order at the counter and guess what? All they want to talk about is money. You go over to Dillard's and you find something that you'd like to have and you get it and you take it to the register and guess what? All they want to do is talk about money. You go buy a car, and you look at the car, you test drive it, you come back inside, and guess what? All they want to do is talk about money, don't they? You buy a new house. You go find the house. You look at it. You check it all out. You negotiate. You come back and sit down at the closing, and all they want to do is talk about money. I just think I'm not going to McDonald's anymore. All they talk about is money. I'm not going back to Dillard's. They just want to talk about money all the time. Well, the Lord was never afraid to talk about money. In fact, besides the kingdom of God, stewardship was his favorite subject. He talks, about more, he talks more about money and possessions than about faith and prayer combined. He spent more time talking about money than he did about heaven or hell. In fact, there are 2,350 verses in the Bible that talk about money and how for us to deal with our money. If I were to sum it all up, the teaching of money and possessions in the Bible into one statement or one sentence, it could be this, don't be a monkey. No, I'm just kidding. It, it would be something like this, live an open-handed life. Live an open-handed life. Not clutching to things, holding on to things. When we open our hand and our hearts and give something that maybe is difficult for us to let go, we give it over to God, God replaces that empty place in our hand with peace. And that's what God wants us to have, the peace of God that passeth all understanding. So as we learn to release control of our money to God, he replaces the financial stress in our life 
with financial peace. If you're going to learn how to excel at anything in your life, whether it's driving a car or learning a new language, you have to progress through a series of stages. The same holds true for learning how to honor God with our finances. The way we ultimately honor God with our finances is through giving. We learn to give. Paul talked about the grace of giving and how we need to have that. And to excel is simply to become excellent in that particular thing. And God wants us to become excellent in our giving. And so as we think about that, there are three levels of giving that I want to talk about this morning. First of all, there is the basic level. The basic level is the initial giver, giving that first gift, giving that first time. The generosity ladder is simply a tool that helps us to move in life of financial stress to a life of financial peace. You get on the ladder of financial peace by opening our hand, by not being so tight-fisted. And the decision to give gets us on that first rung of the ladder, you might say, the ladder of basic giving. You decide to give a gift back to God, and that's not a good place to stay, but that's a good place to start. We start with giving something back to God. Giving for the first time for some people can be scary. And every time when we come to the stewardship time, we always have in January, we have new people through the year that have gotten saved, and they're learning some things now for the first time. We have Christians who have not applied the principles, and now they're being challenged once again. And inevitably, their questions and their doubts, what if I give and then I'm strained financially? Or what if I give and then I can't make ends meet? How will the money I give be spent? That kind of struggle and those kind of questions are part of the human nature, the human condition that we have. Day after day, we find ourselves in situations in which we put our head into them, but our heart is in conflict with it, and we struggle with that. Even when we know what we should do, as is in the case of giving, there's always some fear that goes along with it. Sometimes that fear actually paralyzes us and keeps us from doing what God wants us to do. Fear keeps people locked in the lie of what I call scarcity mentality. The idea that the more you give away, the less you'll have for yourself and for your own needs. And the only way to break out of that trap and that lie is to take the first step of faith. To step out and give an initial gift on that ladder of spiritual peace that God wants us to have, financial peace. Notice what God says with me in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you look over there at verses 1 and 2, there's several principles that God gives to us here. 1 Corinthians chapter 16, chapter 15 is the long chapter that deals with the resurrection and gives us all a lot of things about the doctrine of resurrection, of the resurrection. But in the Bible, whenever God gives doctrine, along with it, he gives responsibility. And so the next chapter, he talks about giving. When we learn about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the gospel, which he gives to us in the first part of that chapter, which is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the gospel, all of us would agree, is essential for salvation. And if it is the most essential thing for salvation, then he says, how are we going to get that out to the rest of the world? 
And it costs money. It takes money to do that. And so he gives us our responsibility in chapter 16. He says, now concerning the collection for the saints, verse number one, as I have given order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. First of all, he tells us how much we should give. How much we should give. And if you notice, it's not an amount. He doesn't give us a dollar amount. The Bible never tells you you have to give a certain dollar amount. You never read in the Bible, to honor God, you must give $100. doesn't say that in the Bible. Of course not. The issue is not a dollar amount. The issue is the proportion of your gift based on your income. Ultimately, giving is about the level of our sacrifice. People with no income aren't expected to give. But people who have an income or an increase are expected to give. He tells us we're to give of the first fruits of our increase. So we give of our income or we give of our increase. It's proportionate. And then secondly, when should we give? He tells us in verse number two, upon the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, we bring our offerings and bring our tithe to the Lord. Let me kind of explain it, build a little bridge from Paul's day to our day today, our modern day. In the biblical days, for the most part, everybody was paid on the last day of the week. Sometimes they were paid on daily basis. But after they were paid, they brought that part of their income to the temple on the first day of the week. It's pretty simple. First day, bring your, bring your tithe. Things don't work out quite the same for us today because some of you get paid on the first day of the week. Some of you get paid on the last day of the week. Some of you get paid twice a week. Some of you get paid twice a month. Some of you may get paid when you finish a project or finish a job. It could be many weeks or sometimes many months. The principle is that we return to God what belongs to him when we're paid. We get the, the money comes in, then we return to God what it, what it is that we've received and what, we, what belongs to him, the tenth or the tithe. So God wants us on the first Sunday after we get paid, to bring our gifts and our offerings to the Lord and to present them to him. Now, you may say, well, does that mean I can't give it on Wednesday? We'll, we'll accept it on Wednesday night, too. And some of you give online, and when you get paid and you get your pay, you do that. But you get paid, and then you bring and you give your offering to the Lord. And then the third question is, where should we give? Where should we give? Verse number one, he says, now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have given order to the what? To the churches. He said, I gave order to the churches of Galatia, even so do ye. Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him in store, if God has prospered him. The first day of the week, we bring our tithes to the church. When we decide to step out of this financial stress and get on that first ladder, first rung of the ladder of peace, we do it by giving through the local church. The storehouse, as Malachi talks about. Go back with me to those verses that Brother Craig read for us in Matthew, or Malachi, chapter number 4, chapter 3. And notice what the Lord says there. In Malachi, chapter 3, and I want to back up a couple of verses from where we started in our reading this morning. But look at verse number 6. In chapter 3, in verse 6, he says, For I am the Lord. 
One of the reasons we give is because he is the Lord. Amen. Amen. He's our Lord. But then notice the next phrase. He says, I change not. You see, we're getting ready in Malachi to transition into the New Testament. And we have a lot of people that say, well, that tithing stuff in the Old Testament, it doesn't apply to the New Testament. So just in case you say that, the Lord said, I want to remind you, I'm the Lord, I change not. He said, this is still true for you. And Jesus said to the, to the Pharisees, they, they brought their tithes and so forth and didn't do some of the other things. And he said, these all you to have done and not left the other undone. So the Lord says, I'm the Lord, I change not. Look at verse 7. Even from the days of your fathers, you have gone away from mine ordinances and have not kept them. Return unto me, and I will return unto you, saith the Lord of hosts. But ye said, wherein shall we return? The Lord said to them, return to me. Say, okay, Lord, where do we return? So God says, all right, you asked, so I'm going to tell you. Verse number eight, will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. You're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the what? The storehouse. Okay, what's the storehouse? Keep reading. That there may be meat in what? Mine house. The storehouse is God's house. He said you bring the tithe into the storehouse, into my house. That is the local church. In our church, we bring our offerings and we place them in the offering plate. As the offering plate goes by and we give to the Lord. Sometimes folks mail in their offering. Some of the folks uh, use the online giving and those sorts of things. There's different ways that we can do it. But we bring our tithe into the storehouse. And that's what God wants us to do. Be faithful in bringing to the storehouse. So that's the basic level, the first level. That's the basic, that's the starting point. The second level is the obedience level. The obedience level is the proportional giving. The person who gives proportion, 10% is the tithe, the tither. John D. Rockefeller said this. He said, I never would have been able to tithe on the first million I ever made if I had not tithed on my first salary, which was $1.50 per week. Wow, that sounds amazing, doesn't it? We think, boy, if I have a million dollars, I could tithe. That would be easy. But John Rockefeller said, I wouldn't have been able to tithe on the million if I didn't learn to tithe on the dollar and 50 cents. Heard a fellow one time came to his preacher and he said, preacher, I've got a terrible problem. He said, when I first started tithing, he said, I was only making $100 a week. And I didn't have any trouble giving, giving to you $10 a week. But he said, now I'm making $10,000 a week, and I'm having a terrible time to give $1,000 every week to the Lord. The preacher put his arm around him, and he said, let me pray for you. He said, dear Lord, dear Lord Joe's got a terrible problem. Lord, he didn't have any trouble giving a $10 a week, and now he's struggling with giving 1000 Lord, would you reduce his salary back to $100 a week? He said, no, 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 that's not what I said. If God can't trust us with a little, he can't trust us with a lot, can he? And we learn to tithe from what we have, what God has given us. Tithing is one of the most misunderstood and argued about teachings in Christian circles. But it is associated with the biblical truth, and therefore we cannot ignore it. We must teach it. And so let's dig in and see what the Bible really has to say about the tithe and 
how it relates to our climb up the generosity ladder. The second rung, the first rung is the basic. The second rung is, rung is the obedience giving, the obedience level, that step towards financial peace as we obey the Lord. You step up on this level when you begin to return the full tithe to the Lord on a consistent basis. As its name suggests, the obedience level, it's where you start to fully obey God with your finances. Obedience level is giving, and that is the core section, you might say, of that ladder as we climb the ladder. It spans the majority of the gap between a life of financial stress or a life under the curse and a life of financial peace or a life of blessing. Look back at verse number eight or verse nine. Verse eight, he said, will a man rob God? And then verse nine, he says, ye are cursed with a curse. For ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. How many of you want to be under a curse from God? Well, whether we want to be or not, we are, aren't we? The curse started all the way back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. We're under that curse. But God says, when we rob God, we're under a curse. He says, ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, and I, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a what? Blessing. Do we want to be under the curse or do we want to be under the blessing of God? I think I know where all of us want to be, right? We want God's blessing. Obedience level puts us under the blessing. And God gives us some clues he gives us three important truths about tithing in this passage. First of all, verse 8 tells us that if we are not tithing, we are robbing God. If we're not tithing, again, verse 8, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But you say, Wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. That's pretty clear, isn't it? And by the way, there's a difference between robbing and stealing. When you steal something, you take something that belongs to somebody else. When you rob something, somebody of something, you rob, you take it from them with the threat of bodily damage or bodily hurt or harm, bodily force. You take it by force. There's a difference. God doesn't say you're just taking something. You're robbing. You're taking it with threatening to do damage. Say, so what do we do damage to? Where do we bring our tithe? Into the church, right? What is the church? It is the bride of Christ. And when you rob the Lord, you're harming his bride. You're threatening his bride with, with force and with harm. And so he says, when we rob God, when we don't tithe, we're robbing God. Could I say to you that partial obedience is complete disobedience? Can you imagine if your husband or your wife came to you and, and, and said, Honey, have you been faithful to me this year? And you said, Well, pretty much so. I've only been unfaithful a few times this year. I've only committed adultery four or five times this year. That wouldn't work in your marriage, would it? Why? Because partial obedience is complete disobedience. God wants us to be faithful to have complete obedience. Now, when he talks about tithing, a tithe means the first tenth. We're to bring the first tenth. We're commanded to return one-tenth of our income to God. But not just any tenth. We're to bring the first tenth. 
We're to give back to God the first tenth of all that he blesses us with. In Proverbs 3, verses 9 and 10, it says, Honor the Lord with thy substance and with the first fruits of all thine increase. So shall thy barns be filled with plenty and thy presses shall burst out with new wine. You see, giving leftovers to God won't do. God doesn't want what's left over at the end of the week after we've paid everything and done everything we want to. God wants the best that we have to offer. He wants the first fruits. And then secondly, those who are not tithing are not being blessed by God. In verse 9, he says, ye are cursed with a curse. In verse 10, he says, if I will open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. Scripture says that non-tithers are under a curse, and those that are tithing have the blessings of God on their life. In other words, failing to tithe blocks God from blessing you and me to the extent that he wants to bless us. And when we don't tithe, we put ourselves under the curse. You say, well, what does that curse look like in our culture today? Well, it may be going to bed every night worrying about money. It may be arguing with your spouse about money all the time. It may be living in constant fear of losing everything that you've got. You know, the Bible tells us that nobody can mock God. God says, be not deceived. God is not mocked. You can't mock God. We cannot ignore and dispute his plans for our livelihood and still expect to have his blessings on our life. We have to do it God's way. Financially and in every other area of our life. I've learned firsthand in my life, in my own experience, I'd rather tithe to God and give him the 10% and live under the, with the 90% under the supernatural blessings of God than to live with 100% and live under the curse of God. I want God's blessings, and I'm sure you do too. Now, a lot of times people ask the question, should I tithe on my gross or should I tithe on my net income? And my answer is, which one do you want God to bless? Do you want him to bless you according to the gross or according to the net? When you make a decision based on your net income, you're essentially putting the government in a position of priority over God. You're giving to God from what is left over after Uncle Sam's taken his part out of it. Giving based on what the government leaves behind is not a tithe. And then thirdly, this is the only place in Scripture where God says, prove me. Prove me now herewith, saith the Lord, in verse number 10. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God is simply saying to you and to me, bring your tithe to me and see if I won't bless you. In other words, he's saying, go ahead, try it, prove me, test me. His challenge here is to Christians and to non-Christians alike. This is not just for saved people, it's for everybody. Today, I want to ask you to take a test. I want you to test God and test his promise by committing to tithe for the next four months. If you're not tithing, you make a commitment today for the next four months I mean, put your money where your mouth is. You believe the Bible. You believe the Word of God. And put your money where your mouth is and put him to the test. I heard about a man some time ago. He went to his preacher and he said, Preacher, he said, I, I don't understand all this tithing stuff. And 
And, uh, and so he said, explain it to me. Tell me about it. And he did. And, and this man was in a, he was an air traffic controller. He was in a very successful job. And, and he said, I don't even know that I believe in God. And the pastor said, okay. He said, let's test God. He said, I want you to take the test and dispel all of this foolishness that you, that you have. He said, let's just prove whether God exists or he doesn't. And so he agreed with the pastor that for the next four months, he would bring his tithe, his 10%. And over the four months, the man wasn't there in church every Sunday. He was only there three or four times, but he made sure his tithe was there every single Sunday. And when the time was up, he came back and God had worked in his life in an amazing way. He began to see God's blessings on his life, tangibly and, and intangibly. And to make a long story short, he came back to the pastor after four months and said, I'm convinced that God exists. And of course, he continued to tithe and to have God's blessings on his life. That man's not the exception to the rule. God shows up in people's lives when they honor God. When God makes a promise, he keeps his promise. He has obligated himself to do what he said he would do. And if we honor God with our first fruits, he says, then I will put my blessing on your life. I will bless you. When we begin to be obedient by bringing the full tithe back to God, we move from being under the curse of God to being in the zone of the blessings of God in our life. We put ourselves in a position for God to be able to bless us and bring his blessings into our life. Then we begin to make tithing a priority and we begin to have the peace of God. We've opened our hand and he fills it with his peace. Notice that we are bringing the tithe back to him rather than giving it to him. He says, bring ye in verse number 10 all the tithes into the storehouse. Why does it say bring and not give? Because we bring the tithe back to the Lord because he's the one that gave it to us in the first place. Amen? And so we bring it back. We don't give it to him. It was his to start with. We bring it back to him and honor him. We're saying, God, you are more important to me than my money. I want you to have first place in my life. And when we put God first in our finances, God will throw open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings on our life. And once you get on this rung of the ladder to financial peace, you will not want to climb back down from that place. In all my years of pastoring and helping people, I've never had one single person say to me, Preacher, you know, tithing was a bad decision. I wish I'd never taken that step. But over and over and over, I've heard people say, you know, preacher, since I started tithing, God started blessing. And I learned that I could do more with 90% of the income with God's blessings on it than I could do with 100% without his blessings. You see, when we begin to tithe, God's spiritual laws begin to kick in in our life. And since we are honoring him, he will honor us. There's a third level that he talks about, and that is the peak level. The peak level, that's the sacrificial giver. We have the basic level, who give, the person who gives that initial gift to the Lord. And then we have the obedience level where we're faithful in tithing, bringing the full tithe to the Lord. And then the peak level of sacrifice. Harry Truman said this, he said, It is through generous giving that we affirm before the world our nation's faith 
in the inalienable right of every man to a life of freedom, justice, and security. It's through generous giving, he said. You move to the peak level on the ladder by becoming a generous giver. By acknowledging the pull toward open-handedness, opening our hands to the Lord, letting go of gripping and hanging on to that which is we think ours. We take a step and we move up to generous giving. Not a life of disobedience. Not a life of just doing the minimum, but a life of running over. A generous giver is what God wants us to be. The Bible says the Lord loveth a cheerful giver. There's three things that characterize the life of a generous giver. First of all, there's a willingness to stretch yourself. A willingness to stretch yourself. In other words, instead of giving the minimum tithe each week, we stretch ourselves and we take a larger step of faith. Let me ask you a question. What kind of giver does does God want you to be? Is he stretching you to give 11% or 12% or 15% or 20%? We ought to be willing to stretch ourselves and ask the Lord what he wants us to do and what he wants us to give. Look at what you gave last year and say, Lord, what do you want me to do this year? And listen to God and do what God tells you to do. Back in, well, it was 2003 when we got into this building. We built this building debt-free. When we had our first service in here, everything was paid for. And one of the things we did during the, during the, the process of raising funds was we had uh, uh, my house offering, giving the Lord. We asked everybody to pray about giving to the Lord a gift to the building that was equal to their house payment or to their rent payment. And I said, now don't go out and tell everybody. The preacher said, I got to give to the building fund an an offering equal to my house payment or my rent. I didn't say that. I asked you to pray about it. And I said this. I said, if you pray about it and God says, do it, and you don't do it, you're disobedient. But I said, if you pray about it and God says, don't do it, and you do do it, you're still disobedient. You see, the whole point of it is not how much. The point is Hearing God and listening to God, learning to ask and hear from God, what does God want me to do? Now, we know he tells us in his word, the tithe, that's that's obedience. But as we give, he says that they had robbed him in their tithes and their offerings. The offering is what we give over and above the tithe. We ask the Lord what he wants us to do, and we give to the Lord as he leads us. Have you set a goal for your giving? Years ago... When Vicki and I had first got married, we lived in Independence, Missouri, and we were working in a church out there. And I heard my pastor, we were having a stewardship campaign, and my pastor there made this statement one day. He said, this year, I have been able to give to the Lord more than what my salary was from the church. I thought, wow, that's amazing. And that's been uh, 40, about 43 years ago. No, more than that, 47 years ago. We'll be married 48 years in August this year, and that was right after we got married, so 47 years ago. And you know what? In my mind, I made that goal. I said, Lord, someday I'd like to give to you more than what I was paid in my salary for the year. Now, I haven't gotten there yet. I'm still praying about that. You can put that on your list. for Pray for me that the Lord will let me do that. 
But have some goals in your life. Set some goals. Ask the Lord, what does he want you to do? And only God can do that, and he'll help you. If he tells you what he wants you to do, he'll help you to do it. And so there needs to be a willingness to stretch ourselves. And then also a desire to be generous with others. You see, when we see needs around us, we ought to be quick to help others. Amen? Rather than asking, do I have to help that person? Or do I have to help again or give again? We ought to be asking the Lord, can I help? We ought to be ready and be excited about helping and looking for ways that we can help. Be able to live in a place of quick generosity and it will help you to control your money and do what God wants you to do. You see, God wants us to control our money, not our money to control us. And then there's a third thing, and that is a decision to use your income fully to accomplish God's purpose in the world. What is God's purpose in this world? What does he want us to do with our money? He has a purpose for it. Decide what God's purpose is. Ask him to show you. We, in the, in the near future, we've already been raising a little bit of money to build a gymnasium. We're going to have to do that someday. Uh, but we made a, we've, we've made a goal to do like we did with this building. About the last half of the, of the fundraising for this building, we made a commitment to give from every dollar that went to the building, we put 50 cents of that dollar into missions. We said, we don't want to just build a building here in America for us. We want to use our money to get the gospel around the world. And so as we raise money to build a gym, and, and, and it took us four or five years to raise the money to build this. It may take that long. I don't know what God's going to do in it. But part of our commitment in that is we're going to use half of that, 50%, 50 cents out of each dollar, to help to translate, to choose a people group, and to translate the Bible into a non-published language. In other words, there's a purpose for God's money. God doesn't just give us money to use for ourselves. He wants us to get the gospel around the world. Our responsibility as we give is to help finance the Great Commission. There are people around the world that have never heard of Jesus, and there are people in our, in our own neighborhoods who haven't heard about Christ. That's one of the reasons we put the door hangers on the doors, and we knock on doors and witness and talk to people about the Lord. We want to get the gospel out, and all of that, as I said, it costs money. It takes money to print those things. It takes money to get translators. It takes money to print Bibles and all of that. So a decision to use our income fully to accomplish God's purpose in this world. Tonight, we're going to talk about more about God's purpose for money. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 says, But this I say, he that soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he that soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. The only way to fully know how you can use your life and your finances to honor God is to step up on this next level, that peak level of sacrificial giving, Giving to help others around us. There are many of you who give to help the needs of people in our church, and that's, that's amazing and tremendous, and I praise God for that. But then there are people around the world that need help as well, and we give to missions, and many of you give faithfully to that. Many of you give to our Bibles. We, are, we, are, we put together the John and Romans on Thursday morning. We are working on our fourth million of John and Romans to get out around the world. I think this year this year alone we've done I think it was 169,000 something like that this year. What are we doing? It, that takes many money to do that. Many of you put money in and give to help with the Bibles and so forth. That's simply a part of getting 
using our income for the purpose that God has in this world. Thinking of others and caring about others and getting the gospel out. There are some people who become an example as they step up on this level of sacrificial giving. You may have heard of the book, The Purpose Driven Life. Uh, A good book. I don't agree with all of the things in it, but it's a good book. It was written by a pastor in Southern California who didn't know when he wrote it that he would, was writing the best-selling hardcover book of all time next to the Bible. He thought he was just writing a little book to try to help people reorient their lives to the purposes of God and fulfilling his purpose for, the, for, his, for their lives. But God had some different plans for that. And he sold over 40 million copies in English and over 60 million copies around the world. Those sales naturally brought monetary rewards to him. And when he got his first reward check or royalty check, it was quite large. And one of his friends asked him, said, what are you going to do with all the money that this book has generated? And, And he said, I'm not sure yet, but he said, I'm searching scripture to see what God wants me to do. And after a short period of time, he decided four things that he would do. Number one, he said, I've decided not to change my lifestyle. What he was saying was, I've got more money coming in now, but I was living in this lifestyle and I could take care of it comfortably. All this other money is not going to be given to me from the Lord so I can change my lifestyle. It's been given to me so I can use it for God's purpose in the world. I'm not going to sell my house, he said, that I've lived in for 20 years and buy a big mansion up in Malibu. I'm not going to sell my 10-year-old Ford and get a limousine. I'm going to keep my lifestyle the way it is. Secondly, he said, I'm going to set up two foundations, one to help hurting pastors around the world and the other to help hurting children who have been orphaned. Thirdly, he said, I've decided to pay back to my church all the salary I've earned as their pastor for the last 20 years and continue pastoring for no income. I'm going to talk to him about that one a little bit. But (laughs) Number four, he said, I've decided to become a reverse tither. A reverse tither. Now, you've heard about reverse mortgages. Those are kind of dangerous. Be careful about them. But a reverse tither. The Bible says we're supposed to bring 10% into the Lord, and we use the other, 10, the other 90% under God's direction. He said, I'm going to flip that. I'm going to give 90% to the Lord, and I'm going to hold back and live on the other 10%. I've only ever heard of one other person that ever did that. I think that was R.G. Letourneau, and he was a big construction uh, equipment uh, developer and so forth. But he said, I'm going to give 90% of my income to the Lord and live on 10%. Talk about somebody whose story challenges givers. And as I said, R.G. Letourneau is one who challenges people. You and I may not be able to be a reverse tither. But what is God calling you to do? Could it be that he wants you to give 20% and live on 80%? My dad did that much of his life. Give 20%, give it 20% live on. It may be he wants you to give 11%, live on 89%. I don't know what it is, but ask the Lord to stretch you and do more for, for the Lord in your giving to fulfill and carry out his purpose in the world. The last thing on your notes there says this, unless you learn to be 
generous with the resources that you have in your life right now, no matter how meager they may seem, you will not be generous with the resources later on. Unless I learn to be faithful to God with what I have now, I won't be faithful to God later on with what I think I'll have. On the front of your bulletin, you have a little ladder. Picture that ladder in your mind. Where are you on that ladder? Are you back here on the basic level, initial giving, giving your first initial gift to the Lord? Are you up a rung? Are you on the, on the obedience level, proportionate giving, tithing? Are you on that next level of peak level, sacrificial giving? Am I back here with financial stress in my life or do I have financial peace in my life? Am I living under the curse of God because I've been robbing him or am I living under the blessing of God? Sometimes people say, well, preacher, all you want is just to get our money. No. The reason I preach on stewardship every year is because I want to get you out from under the curse of God and get you under the blessing of God. God has blessed my life, and I saw him bless my dad's life, and I know what it is to have the blessings of God, and I want you to have that in your life as well. God can give you far more than anybody else can ever give. In fact, he says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, full and running over shall men give into your bosom. Give and it shall be given unto you. But remember this as we close this morning. The most important thing God wants is he wants you to give him yourself. He wants you. And by the way, if he gets you, he'll get your money. Amen? And if he doesn't get your money, he doesn't have you. But it starts out with giving ourselves, trusting the Lord as our Savior, and understanding that's what the money is all about. It's getting that message of the gospel that we've experienced, we've been saved, getting it to those around us in our community and neighborhood and country and around the world, getting the gospel through missionaries and, and through taking the gospel in various parts of the world. That's what the money's all about. It takes money to do that. And we say, Lord, here it is. You've given to me so that I can fulfill your purpose in the world. Let's bow our heads together for prayer. Lord. Would you help us today? I know how you've blessed my life. And I know the joy that comes from giving. And I thank you for what you've done for me. And I want you to do it for everyone here today. I want them to have the blessings of God on their life. And I pray that you would help us to first of all give ourselves, And then help us to. Be faithful with our finances and honoring you. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed for just a moment. I wonder how many of you would say, Preacher, I have given myself to the Lord Jesus Christ. I know I'm saved. I'm a child of God. If I die today, I know for sure I'm going to heaven. If you know that for sure, would you raise your hand as a testimony of that fact? I know for sure if I died today, I'm going to heaven. God bless you. You may put it down. I wonder if there's somebody here who doesn't know that for sure, and you'd say, Preacher, I'd like to know that for sure. Would you pray for me? Would you just lift your hand let me pray, pray for you this morning? I don't know for sure, but I'd like to. I want to give myself to the Lord. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand let me pray for you? Just slip it up right where you are. Anyone? 
Let me ask you another question. How many of you can say, Preacher, God has taught me, and I have reached that level. I am a faithful tither, and I promise to continue to be that faithful tither. God's blessed, and I want to continue. I've been faithfully tithing, and I'm going to continue. Would you lift your hand as a testimony to that? I'm going to continue as my faithful tithing. God bless you. I wonder if there's someone here today to say, Preacher, this is all new to me. I want to take that first step of giving a gift to the Lord. That basic level. Maybe you're a new Christian. And you say, I want to give to the Lord. I want to give something to Him. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand? This might be your first time in giving. God bless you. Yes. Anyone else? I want to take that first step. Thank you. God bless you. I wonder how many of you say, Preacher, I'm going to take the challenge. I've not been faithful in tithing. But with God's help, I'm going to commit to the next four months, January, February, March, April, I'm going to take four months to prove God, to test God, and I'm going to be faithful for four months in my tithing. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand? I've not been tithing, but I'm going to take that commitment. God bless you. God bless you. Yes, yes. God bless you. Yes. Anyone else? I'm going to be faithful. I wonder how many of you would say, Preacher, I've been a faithful tither, but I think God wants me to do more. I can't be a reverse tither, but maybe it's 11% or 12%. I'm going to ask God what he wants me to do. I want to take that next step of sacrificial giving. I want to do more. And, and would you pray with me that God will show me what he wants me to do and help me to do it? Would you raise your hand? Let me pray for you. God bless you. Amen. God bless you. Father. You know our hearts and you've seen our hands. And if this finances was so important to you that you spoke about it more than heaven and hell itself. How important it is for us to learn to give. And we ought to be thrilled because you gave the greatest gift that could ever be given in giving your son to die on the cross for our sins. To pay our sin debt so that we would never have to spend eternity in hell so that we could go to heaven forever. And Lord, in love and in appreciation for all that you've done for us, we're honored that we get to give back to you. Help us in this new year as we step up a rung in that ladder to financial peace. Would you direct us? Would you bless us? And would you help us to be faithful? Well, we ask it in Jesus' name.